Hey, welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. It's a European soccer edition. Wow, the Super League this week just struck me as a fascinating business of sports story where you had some teams break off and decide, hey, they're going to form their own league. It's going to be more revenue potential than the league that they're in. Cut out the middleman of UEFA and maybe even FIFA. And you know what? On Monday morning, it was a big deal. By Wednesday afternoon when I'm recording this, not so much. It's gone, basically. I couldn't think of a better person to have on it than Taylor Twelman from ESPN. I've known him a long time. He is the soccer voice of ESPN, one of the premier soccer voices in the country, if not the world. What a fascinating interview to come with Taylor Twelman about the European Soccer Super League that was a thing two days ago and doesn't appear to be a thing at all. Okay, we're going to get to that in a minute. First, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Big, big uh, fight in the octagon this weekend. Masvidal and Usman are put on a show the last time they got in. And here's round two this weekend. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, is putting you at the center of the action. This weekend's title fight, 26 to 1 odds on either title contender to reign victorious. So all you have to do is pick either main event fighter, uh, UFC 261, and then you'll get 26 to 1 odds. Don't worry if MMA is not for you. There are other things. Great odds on basketball, hockey, and so much more that's going on right now. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S. When you sign up, turn $5 into $130. If the title contender you choice wins, place your bet, watch the fist fly. That's code ROSS to turn $5 into $130. If the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown for a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 20 or older, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, or West Virginia, only new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's get into it. You know, to me, one of the most fascinating business of sports stories of the year just came out, and it's in the world of European soccer. So when I think about soccer, European and American, MLS, I think of my guy, <laughs> Taylor, yeah. Taylor Twelman from ESPN. We've known each other since I hosted a symposium about concussions many yeah. years ago, and he's been a friend and a colleague for many years. Great to have you on the program, and you're going to break down something I think is a fascinating story that a lot, not a lot of people know a lot about. So welcome, Taylor. Hey, good to see you, my man. Good to always see you. A, yeah, always a pleasure, my friend. Okay, so people uh, have started hearing the last 48 hours, European Super League, it's not happening, it is happening, Americans, money, uh, J.P. Morgan. Uh, you know, before we get to the last 48 hours, you and I talked before we turned on the mic here that this has been around a long time, the idea of a Super League. Yeah. And you even mentioned 40, 45 years. So Explain the background of sort of this above and beyond all the leagues in European soccer. There's always been, Andrew, this rumor of a Super League to challenge UEFA, right? And challenge UEFA for overseeing the European game and to see where all the money comes from. And as clubs have gotten bigger, namely in England, there's been this growing momentum towards, you know what, we need to somehow separate. Now, it happens usually every four, five, six years. The rumor pops up, but there's a lot more to than just saying, we're going to change it up and we're going to challenge the Champions League because as many people, you don't need to know soccer, but you understand Champions League is the champions. 
And the best teams from all over continental Europe, some countries send four teams, some send one. And so now all of a sudden to just drop a bomb into that and blow that up, there's ramifications within governments. You've seen prime ministers come out and say that they will not support it. So this is more than just our American capitalistic way of saying, no, we want to start a different league and we want to make a ton of money. There's a lot more to that. And I'm a little surprised at how powerful these clubs are and how rich these clubs are and how little thought went into no press release, nothing real in behind the scenes of understanding what's going to go on. Because immediately, Andrew, 24 hours, you saw the volcanic eruption happen. And then all of a sudden the clubs are like, all right, I'm out. Sorry. We're just kidding. Psych, we're out of it. I want to get back to the obviously the backlash and how they could not foresee this reaction. I do want to spend time on that. More on the background. Tell us a little bit about Champions League versus this. So yep. if this came to fruition, would Champions League continue along with this? And the second part is, why would, and, and I'm asking rhetorically, why would Liverpool, Man U, uh, Chelsea fans be so upset if this doesn't conflict with their participation in the league and potentially not conflict with their participation in the champions league, or that would be not allowed. Yeah. So you couldn't play in both the super league, uh, super league, excuse me, and the champions league. So make that. And then you couldn't play in your domestic league. So the moment this league was announced, every FA said, Nope, those teams are, they're gone. See ya. So now all of a sudden, that's why the players are like, wait a minute, no one talked to us about it. So, the, the reason why you're up in arms is twofold. One is you don't have the right to dictate what league you play in as an owner based on the 100-year of tradition and history within the sport. These clubs were founded by fans and the supporters. They were not founded by owners. So, Andrew, unlike the United States of America, where promotion relegation doesn't exist, right. that is where this is. And the more successful you are, the more rewarded you get. So if you separate yourself from where that pyramid is and then the football association say you can't you can't play domestically, Andrew, you've got nothing. Now, the reason why these clubs looked at it is the financial reason. $4 billion up front. Here's the cash check. Here you go to play in this midweek league. Now, from what I've heard from lawyers, they were prepared for lawsuits from the football associations. Right. But the moment UEFA threatened that the player could not play for his country in UEFA competition and ultimately the FIFA World Cup, that's when this thing had no legs to stand on because every single player would have wiped their hands of it. I don't care what money you're paying them, said they were out of it. Champions League would have gone on. But, Andrew, you know this better than anyone. When someone hits your checkbook, that's when the arms went up. That's when everyone started to panic within UEFA. UEFA could have stopped racism 10 years ago. They've done nothing. They've turned a blind eye. FIFA as well. But now you say to the 12, arguably 12 of the top 15 most powerful clubs in the world, and they were going to take that money and leave the Champions League. The Champions League would have continued. But you and I both know if those 12 teams aren't playing in that Champions League, well, then it doesn't have the same kind of you know, aura around it, right? And so now it all of a sudden changes. 
The irony of this, though, Andrew, is that for the six English clubs, if the Champions League ended today and the standings were up, four of the six wouldn't play in next year's Champions League. Oh, wow. Think of that. Right, so they were looking at it. It's just the pandemic expedited this idea by about two and a half to four years, from what I've heard. The other aspect is the World Cup in 2022 is going to flip the schedule a little bit. So the Super League was like, you know what? Maybe we can get ahead of this. Let's jump started in 22. Then all of a sudden, we've got ourselves prepared for that interesting and new dynamic of a World Cup in the winter. Um, it just wasn't well thought out. I get the money. I get JP Morgan coming up with $50 billion and you're going to split it among 12 to 15 clubs. But it just didn't seem like they thought this one through. And there's part of me, Andrew, I'm going to throw you a wrinkle here. Part of me thinks it was a test. Really? Part of me thinks it was a test to see what the reaction would be. A trial balloon. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Now, is it as simple as, I mean, maybe it is. Just a money grab. Were there other reasons for this? You know, the closed system you talked about, no promotion, no relegations. And and we're going to talk about this the next couple of questions. The Americanization, if you will. And you know better than anyone about this. Was that a big part of this, that these these teams would have this fixed and guaranteed revenue stream a la NFL owners sharing 32 ways the billions of dollars of media money? Was that, I mean, that's a money grab too, but was it the the systematic part of it that was so appealing to these owners? Yeah, what what was so appealing to them is they're asking the question, why does UEFA take their cut? Why do we need UEFA, right? So whatever that cut is, and and you can find some of it publicly, and quite honestly, I still think the fact that UEFA is our higher moral ground right now is laughable. But, Andrew, I think a lot of it is UEFA. Like, let's let's just use rough numbers. 25% of the money goes to UEFA. Why? They're sitting there saying why. The other aspect is – the powerful clubs, the Real Madrids, the Manchester Cities, the Manchester Uniteds to a certain extent, they're kind of bored. Yeah. And what's weird is they're they're qualifying for Champions League year in and year out. And then if they struggle, they go to Europa League and whatnot. But there's kind of this boredom of like, well, wait a minute. If the NFL just signed a hundred billion dollar media deal and our sport is ten times bigger than that sport, how are we not receiving the same kind of the money flow? How are we not getting that? Now, from 2019 to 2020, that combined season, so for, for Americans listening to this, it's not the full calendar year. It's June 1st of 19 to June 1st of 20. 11 of the 12 clubs, they lost combined $1.3 billion just on player sales. Wow. That's only three months of the pandemic season. The pandemic expedited a lot of this. I get it. Yeah. But what they forgot or somehow did not fully understand is great. You want to get rid of Champions League. What happens to the domestic side of your club? That's where you lose it. For the Americans listening that don't get what I'm saying, in England, if you finish in the top four, that's $100 million right in your pocket because you qualified for the Champions League without even playing a single game. That's gone. And so – when you're relegated, Andrew, you lose jobs. People, the ordinary people lose jobs. It's all based on that. That's why prime ministers got involved. That's why commerce people got involved. Within 24 hours, people are like, no, 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 this isn't how it works. Yeah. It's way deeper than just Ohio State. I'm going to use my alma mater. University of Maryland saying they're going to leave the ACC and go to the Big Ten. 
It, it was a money grab, absolutely, yeah. but there's no ramifications for it. There are ramifications if you tried to do that in Europe because it's so much based in the commerce and in, in, in normal people, the equal people trying to make a living. It's just that's where, Andrew, this thing's way convoluted, way more convoluted. And it just begs the question we've, we've hinted around a couple times here, which is did these billionaire owners not anticipate this reaction. Now, one is the fan reaction, which we'll talk about. But as I, you know, as I say all the time on Twitter, there will be lawyers. Did they, their their lawyers, not anticipate not only the fan reaction, not only the UEFA reaction, but the government reaction? Yeah. The, the regulators, the, the ministries, all the things you're talking about, which to me is like, if a good lawyer doesn't see that, come right. on, <laughs> you know, like, what are we doing here? Andrew, J.P. Morgan said, here's $60 billion or $50 billion, whatever the total nut is. Did they not hire a PR manager, too? I mean, like, the, the release of this information was so amateur hour, to say the least. From what I've gathered over the last 24 to 36 hours, yes, their lawyers were prepared. They were prepared for the lawsuits from the associations. They were prepared for the lawsuits against their players, I think the fans won this out, which kind of surprised yeah. the heck out of a lot of them. And that's where I think this thing got very interesting. You know, Andrew, there's maybe never been a time in the world history of this sport where you've had these fans all come together as one. Liverpool, Manchester United fans despise each other. You know, we think the <laughs> Packers fans, you know this better than anyone, we think Packers and Bears fans don't get along. It doesn't yeah. even resonate on that level. And yet all of these clubs' fans came together for this one thing. That tells you the strength of it. That tells you where they underestimated that, which also goes back to my initial point. They're billionaires. They've got a ton of smart people in and around that. Part of me thinks it was a test. Because I don't think this is going away. I do not think this is going away. I think they're going to figure it out. They're going to revamp it, try to figure out what the law really is. But what what it's not done yet, Andrew, and I know I'm rambling here, is that England in their Premier League bylaws can actually fine, suspend, or take points away from the six teams that signed it. We don't know what the punishment is yet. So imagine if those, say, say three of those six teams qualify for Champions League next year and England says, nope, your penalty is you can't play in it next year. Those clubs not only lose on this, but then they lose on the $100 million buy-in right away. There's a lot that's still going to go on with this, especially in England. In Spain, there won't be because that country economically is a disaster. They're struggling. So much is tied into Barcelona in Real Madrid, Syria's hanging on by a thread. But that's where this gets real interesting, Andrew. And as many people yeah. on Twitter are looking down on Americans for the Americanization of sports, European soccer, the current model, isn't working. It's not working. When 40% of your teams after a pandemic are literally hanging on thread saying, we might not make it. You know what's so interesting is, I teach and talk about the American model, which is basically a model of, I know this word upsets people, socialism. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a competitive balance system that's baked in with salary caps, with drafts to reward teams that do poorly. We have restraints on free agency. And to me, the European model is the Wild West. Yes. You know, it's like 
these best players just go. You know, it's like there's no union, there's no salary cap. I know UEFA has got some financial restraints, but no, I mean their sports, Andrew, are more American than ours. When you think of the fundamental idea of capitalism over there, listen, yeah. you spend as much money as you want, you win as much what. Like I, I will say this: I wish Americans and the in the leagues we had had a little bit of rewarding success more. You know, because how often you know this better than anyone in the NFL? You win, you're losing free agents, you're losing players. Where the European model, listen, you why are you penalized for winning? Right, right. So, get the next best player, and the next yeah, that's where it gets a little interesting to me. Where there's a little bit more on the line to lose versus what we have in the United States. However, when a pandemic hits, yeah, which one's stronger? And that's where this thing gets a real. There are many, and Andrew, a lot of people are not going to want to hear this, but over the last five to seven years, there are many a people in the European game that are asking serious questions about how does America do it and how can we get to that hmm. level? Because too many of these Super League clubs are losing massive, massive amount of money. And yet they're also bringing in more money than God. Yeah. So then it turns into this real checks and balances thing where you're celebrating being in fifth and eighth, the other clubs, because you know – there is a ceiling. You can't get there. See, Andrew, for me, there's a problem if the same team wins eight straight years. Right? How do you – I mean, there are only so many messies, right? And, yeah. And they, there are only so many teams, it seems, that can sign those guys. Yes. Yeah. So how do you improve the middle class? In your well, opinion. it's interesting. Leicester City is the best example yeah. that I mean, you and I can have, right? It's a fairy tale story, right? Yep. yep, and that's the longest odds of any sporting, more than Mike Tyson, more than any of these things that we saw were upsets. Leicester City is the greatest upset in sports history, and yet that was a fluke because right. immediately when that happens, UEFA and England are now tighten the screws a little bit, and so now we're going to avoid so that never happens again. <laughs> um, there is something to me, though, about – you go two and fourteen in the NFL. What if you didn't get the number one pick? What if? Yeah. And the other part of me, though, and I know I'm kind of going in a circle, but the other part of me is, Andrew, the NFL is by itself. We're the only country that plays that sport, so it's kind of hard to look at that. But then when you look at other sports, they all—I mean, soccer's played in every country around the world, but basketball's as global as it can yeah. get. Baseball's getting there, especially in the you know the Latin American countries, a little part of Asia and whatnot. So I just a lot of these people and these owners see a hundred billion dollars for the NFL, and I want to say to them because there's only one real country yeah. that's bidding for it. Yeah, and and the thing is that you mentioned the NBA, and and my first thought was. Well, the NFL couldn't do it, but the NF the NBA, you know, there's only 10, 12 teams yep. that rotate through ESPN and TNT and we care about. And if yep. we never see Oklahoma City play or Minnesota play, you know, it's like, OK, well, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I'm like the stars are everything. So could they do something like that? Not they, but could a, a rival of Adam Silver take that over, pay the, you know, pay to top 20 players a hundred million dollars and take it over? It just sort of it's, it kicked off something in my head when I saw this happen. But I want to get back. You mentioned the NFL and the owners. How much is the, what is the opinion of Europeans, English, 
yeah. about the Glazers owning Man U, about the Henrys owning Liverpool, about Kroenke owning Arsenal. Are they reviled? Yes. Be- because they're American owners or it's, I mean, yeah, they is the, the Abramovich of Chelsea reviled. I mean, it, how does that work? It's a, it's an absolute great question, Andrew, because I think they've been looking for just anything to get after them. Now I'm going to defend the English fan right now, because this idea I think was ludicrous. Yeah. And you're trying to bring an American way of thinking into a sport that's global. I think it was very short sighted. However, There's always been and always will be the English looking down on the American in the sport of soccer or football. That's always that case, always has been. And even when I commentate with the Englishmen that I I have or I speak to the English player that comes over. Now, the respect for the player has grown exponentially, Andrew, compared to when I played, and I'm not that old. But the Christian Polistics of the world and the Weston McKinney's and Giovanni Reynas that are now going over Tyler Adams and have immediate success at a longer player, they're now looking at it. But the way fans look at Americans oh, from England over here, they, they just they think we look at it so like we're the oddballs. And in part because we do thing in an American way and all of our other leagues do it. And so they look at Major League Soccer doing it that way. So they're like, wait a minute, it can't work that way. Yet quality of play and all of that, that's not even in the conversation. But this right now puts the – I mean, John Henry is going to have a very difficult time keeping Liverpool. I'm telling you. He's going to have a very difficult time keeping His uh, apology, he's such a dry guy. Yeah. I mean, he's very dry. He's not a people person. Listen – I've I've hung out with him five to six times. Nice guy, genuine. Yeah. He's not, so so he's not a people person. Okay, that's a lot of people aren't. Um, I give him credit that he actually did a video yeah. because yeah. we haven't seen anyone else, Andrew, for that matter. Well, I thought he should have used his two percent owner named uh, LeBron James. That would have resonated big time. That would have resonated a little bit more. Um, yeah. It's it, John Henry's going to have a tough time. The Glaciers have never really been liked, but their guy Woodward, who left, yeah, Andrew, he came from J.P. Morgan. Oh, so when this thing evolves, peel well, away the onions. It's going to be very interesting to see what impact that had and whether or not that was the real orchestrator. The Glaciers have said today, as you and I are taping this, that they're not selling. Um, okay, we'll see. Because with the fans just pulled off with this Super League, I, I mean, I'm not going to underestimate anything they do. What about Kroenke? Kroenke's an absentee owner. Ever, from everyone I hear over there, he is absentee. And so... I, you know what I mean? That's that's such that's a one that's up in the air for me that I have no idea, um, yeah. because everyone I talk to in and around Arsenal, you know, some have said they've never even seen him there, right? So yeah. that's an absentee owner. So I'm not sure. Do I think they're forced to sell? Uh, I, my gut says no. My brain says this is going to be very difficult for them if this thing gets out of whack with the emotion that's behind it. All right, we're here on a Wednesday evening, the 21st, as we sit here today. This news came out Monday morning. Here we are on Wednesday. As we sit here today, as you informed me before we started taping, two teams are still alive. Mm -hmm. And one of them in Barcelona, you say, is not really alive. If you could explain that. Yeah, they have have a vote that goes through their social 
part of their ownership and whatnot. So they released late Tuesday night that they haven't had the vote yet. So what I, I found that to be very convenient yeah. because, quite honestly, they should have announced that Monday night when they announced, right? They should have said, yes, we've signed the letter of intent to join the Super League, but we have not had the vote yet. They announced it Tuesday night, but as of you and I right now, <laughs> the Real Madrid-Barcelona Super League might as well just be called the El Clasico League for the, you right. know, they play each other ten times. And Madrid's out front on this with all these American owners, which is yeah, I, that, honestly, Andrew. That's the biggest takeaway I have out of this thing. Perez and it just the right. entire thing, like he was the spokesperson, and so while everyone talks about the Americanization of Super League, I get it to a certain extent. Why is he talking on behalf of the league? Like that—that that was a little mind-boggling for me that he was the one that spoke. Um, I didn't find it ironic that Chelsea was the first team to publicly announce that they're out. Manchester City followed. Um, Chelsea's owned by a real powerful Russian. They were rumored to be very timid in joining. They joined last minute because they felt like they were going to be left behind. Obviously, they were the first to get out ahead of it. Um, And Manchester City is owned by the Sheik. I always forget his name. And so that was interesting. However, when you look at the apologies and the statements – the coldest, simplest statement were Manchester City and Chelsea. Mm. And so while the Americans take the biggest hit out of this, you, you're not going to have a tough time convincing me. I do find it ironic that those two have just kind of kind of skipped it a little bit of some of, the, some of the heat from the fans. Yeah, they're probably just trying to get out as fast as they can, like it's yeah. the, the news cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my final question, Taylor, is, is this has been great, is like – Drilling down on, on what you said there, your your teaser, which is going to sort of linger here at the end of this podcast, that this was a harbinger of something else to come. I, I'm going to drill down. What do you think that something else is and when and how and how much will it look like this? I think there's a real undercurrent in challenging UEFA and their power. Now, you and I both know and anyone listening with the just debacle of a World Cup vote that turned into 2022 being in Qatar in a winter with all the brown envelopes and the indictments and all we had. FIFA's as corrupt as it can go. UEFA isn't far behind. And I compare UEFA to the NCAA because of lack of leadership, lack of any kind of real transparency until you hit their checkbook, as we saw over the last 48 hours. But I just think there's an undercurrent going on within these clubs and these football associations is saying, what, why is UEFA in charge? Why are they taking their cut? Do we need UEFA for this? And what if we revamp Champions League? Now, Champions League, ironically, was just revamped in large part, and this is where it gets real ugly, to the Juventuses of the world, to PSGs of the world that wanted to revamp it to bring in more money. And so UEFA announces that, and boom, Super League, uh, Super League is announced 24 hours later. I just think, Andrew, something's there where people are tired of UEFA, want to challenge UEFA. But until you get, if it's these 12 clubs, you have to have Germany behind it. Bayern's one of the top five richest clubs in the world. They have to be involved if you're going to accomplish anything. And Paris is. And Paris right now, secretly and, and unsecretly, for lack of a better word, they help fund UEFA in a lot of broadcast deals and whatnot. 
So once Paris wasn't involved, Andrew, I said it on Scott Van Pelt's Sports Hunter show. I said, this thing isn't going to work. Now, if Paris leaves, the thing's gone. It's off and running. And then Germany's going to have to really have a conversation. But once Paris was like, no, we're not in. We're staying with UEFA. This thing was was hanging on an edge. Well, what was the deal with 15 in and five kind of up, up for grabs every year? Is that the way they wanted to do it with? I think they were teasing their own promotion relegation within this kind of environment. And it also allowed J.P. Morgan to say, well, no, you tell us who the 20 clubs are and we'll tell you what the number is, right? But here's the kicker, Andrew, and I'll leave you with this because I think this is the most important. They didn't say where the games were going to be played, did they? No, they did. I was going to ask you about that. Right? And I'm telling you right now, would not have surprised me if that Super League if some of those games, 75% of them were in the United States of America. Wow. Wow. And then and then Asia. So they could have divided the season into two compartments because those are the two markets that are paying the most for their television rights. I mean, not the most. I should correct myself. But they're the two markets that are untouched that are paying so much for those. And they're starting to see the gambling numbers go through the roof for their yeah. Champions League and Premier League. They never said where those games were being played, and I know for damn sure that was a carrot. I know for a fact that they were like, why not? Wow. Why did the United States play three games in a week? Boom, we're out of there, and then that's part of it? You never know. So Chelsea against uh, Real Madrid. in Right, and then go back to your other point, the other five clubs. What if that is Boca Juniors? What if that is Club America? You know what I mean? They would have looked at it and said, how do we have these friendlies into this league? There, You never know. There might have been an MLS team involved. If that ever got into that, so then you hit that. It just, they never, ever, ever said where those games were being played. And I think that's the most interesting tidbit that I don't know if we'll ever know. But that's the one part of that rumor. I heard it, the 2014 World Cup. And I was like, yeah. no way. No way. And then I saw the news. And I'm like, wow, they they're going to pull this off. I'm just left with a lot of what you're saying. Like, we're not, we're, we haven't heard the end of this. No, no. We, what I mean, 30 for 30, this would be, right, dude? Like, oh, about. my goodness. Well, just these 48 hours, but then there's more to come. And as you said, there's a lot of past history of this thought before, too. If they're punished, Andrew, this, you, you're going to have me back on because then we're going to yeah. be talking about the first time a punishment hit this level. I mean, this is the precedent. Like, that's the most interesting part of all of this is that if they punish them hard enough, we may never hear about it again. Yeah, I mean, because that's so interesting because I kept talking about the draft. NFL, you take away draft picks, right? I mean, look at the Patriots. The Patriots have lost draft picks for years. What do you do here? There are no draft picks. No, but you hit the checkbook real quick and say you're not in Champions League next year. You're you're disqualified from Champions League of 2021 and 22. That that right there is a hundred million right off the right off the checkbooks of those four clubs. So then that would be impetus to go do another league. Yep. <laughs> Start right. Another, right. Try another way. But yeah. as long as the football associations in each country say if you go do a super league, you cannot play in our domestic league, then that's where this thing becomes a yeah. I don't know. I wonder what the lawyers can get around that somehow. So so Liverpool could not play in the Premier League. Yep, that's what they were saying. There's also the theory, Andrew, let them go. They're all bored. Let them go. 
And then the Premier League becomes what it was at one point where everyone's operating on the same financial level to a certain extent. These clubs are so rich that it's honestly Manchester City's board is all get out right now. They're, they're running away with the Premier League for the third time in the last four years. And I mean running away with it. Juventus has won eight of the last nine years or some. Bayern's won eight of the last nine years, whatever it may be, whatever the stats are. Like some of these clubs are just they're, – they're bored with their domestic leagues. They're bored. I know. I saw some some stat. You know better than I do. Bromley against Man U has been five love. Five, <laughs> they don't say love. Five, five nil. For the last, it should have been five love because it's been a tennis match. It, listen, Burnley and Manchester City has been five to six nil five straight times. Yeah, and that's that's not a relegated team. No, that's a team that's competing year in and year out at the Premier League. Now at the bottom, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right, but there. I mean, you're you're talking just. But it's not in your world. If the Cowboys had no salary cap, you and I both know they would be exponentially the biggest spenders in the league by far. Right. And there would be a de facto Super League without a cap. Now, they wouldn't have it, but then you'd see teams just, you know, fall away. Yep. And as I said earlier, I think that there's a little bit of that in the NBA and baseball. Yeah. And, and and Rob Manfred is so happy that the Tampa Rays made the World Series, but then of course the team that had a hundred million higher payroll beat him in that World Series. Andrew, you know this better than me because of what you've done in your history. But here's my question. If if you said to so the Astros spend twenty million for ten years, but they take in all that revenue from the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Cubs, St. Louis Cardinals to a certain extent, whatever that number is, sure, yeah. you raise the minimum then you're forcing those clubs to put it back into their product. Right. That's my issue. Right. I'm okay with it, but you can't allow teams to skirt the system. The way Tampa yeah, I mean, the fact that baseball doesn't have a cap, everyone focuses on, like yeah. you said, the ceiling. But the key is the floor. Agreed. Couldn't yeah, agree more. The Pittsburgh Pirates shouldn't be able to have a $70 million payroll. No. When the Dodgers are paying $320 million. No. But no. that's – yeah, that happens. Right, because the Dodgers would then say, okay, fine, our money's going in our broadcast, but you, you raise your level. Yeah. Right? You know, so that's, that's where I'm meeting. I'm with that. Taylor, I sat in those meetings. You would have loved to have been a fly on the wall where Jerry Jones is in the face of Jim Ursay, of yeah. Mike Brown at Cincinnati. Yeah. Like, market your effing club. Yeah. You know, like, I'm tired of being the one that's marketing everyone here. Yeah, and don't just sit there and ch- take your one thirty second check. And that's where we are. That socialistic attitude that that American sports has become, you know, versus the full capitalism. And right. it's not Jerry Jones's fault that he's invested and done what he's done with the Cowboys. And, yeah. and there's part of me that kind of looks at that and says that's unfair is the wrong word, but it's not really right to me. It doesn't make a ton of sense that Mike Brown can sit there and say, "No, I'm good." Yeah, I'll, I'll take my same check you get for three hundred million a year from the yeah, I, like. Yeah. There's certain part of you where it's like, wait a minute, how does that add up? Yeah. Well, this has been fascinating, and I will have you on soon. As of today, it's hanging on by the thinnest <laughs> threads. We got the two Spanish teams, kind of the like, El Clasico League. And by the way, <laughs> ten times a year, it would still rate. That's the funny thing. <laughs> oh yeah, the whole country would be on edge, right? <laughs> Uh, It's been been great as always. Always great to catch up. I'll have you on soon again.
All right, buddy. And then I'll do a fascinating interview with Taylor Twelman. And I don't talk about soccer much, but when I do, I try to get the best. And that was a great interview about a story that we will be back to, I think. We'll talk some more about. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, as always. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal. The music you hear is from my son, Sam Brandt. Thanks for following me on Twitter, at Andrew Brandt. And please, if you haven't already, subscribe to my newsletter every Sunday morning, the Sunday 7. Subscribe at andrew-brandt.com. Apple Podcast rankings and comments always appreciated on the podcast. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.